Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I speak with my friend and herbalist, Latah Kennedy about healing our bodies, our minds, and our lives with wild herbs. I felt so secure in the fact that I could just go anywhere on the planet and introduce people to their plant allies Mm -hmm. and barter for food. Mm -hmm. You know, that just comforted me. and it's 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 true that like you can these marvelous entities exist and there's they're there specifically for healing their communities. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations. And learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins 
now. Latak Kennedy is my guest today, and she is the owner of almost 30-year-old Flower Power, my favorite apothecary in all of the country um, that I've been to. When I was on tour uh, for several years, I went to every major city and little small kind of uh, outskirts cities, and I went to every apothecary I could find. So I've been to many. And uh, Flower Power still has a magic that is unparalleled. And my story with, you know, with Flower Power is a special one. So Flower Power is located in New York City's East Village. It's on East 9th Street between 1st Avenue and Avenue A. It's my favorite block of, of the East Village, actually. And uh, when I first moved to the city, I would leave my loft on Essex Street and I would walk all the way up Essex Street, Essex Street till it turned into Avenue A. Then I'd make a left going west on East 9th Street. And I would enjoy the Tompkins Square Park. And I would enjoy the strange people outside of it. And I would enjoy the, the beautiful tree-lined streets of 9th Street. Then, of course, you'd walk up to Flower Power. And you'd go in. And there'd always be so many beautiful witches and strange people and magical people and musicians and celebrities and just all these strange underbelly of New York City would meet in Flower Power. And um, every herb you could imagine was on the wall in jars, beautiful, high quality. The air just smelled like, like wilderness. And when you were in the city, especially the part of the city I was in, the Lower East Side was very industrial. And so it, I just kind of smelled gasoline all the time and exhaust and uh, raw fish. Um, from Broom Street. But um, going into Flower Power is always like, oh, I'm, I'm back to the land, you know. It was like the earth encapsulated in these little bell jars. Um, and so what was really cool about it is the first time I ever walked by Flower Power, I looked into the window because I wanted to go in, but I was a very passionate smoker at the time. I was smoking my, probably I was on my second pack, I'm sure, in, in one day. And I was looking through the window and I saw this beautiful woman in a black and white striped shirt. And I remember thinking, whoa, she looks like PJ Harvey. PJ Harvey mixed with Liv Tyler. I thought, what a beautiful creature. Um, I'll have to come back here sometime. And I kept walking. And, you know, a month or two later, I met that beautiful creature at a health food store, which I was working at and she was working at in Brooklyn Heights. It's called Paralandra. Those of you in Brooklyn have definitely been there. It's old and big and amazing. And that beautiful creature turned out to be my wife, Eamon Bell, who uh, we've just celebrated our 11th year anniversary, which is mind-blowing. Um, she worked at Flower Power for a long, long time and apprenticed there and learned herbalism there and became a very powerful um, guide for people and teacher in teaching people how to heal themselves with plants and herbs. And the first several years of our relationship, I had, uh, I was privileged. I had access to 24 hour, seven days a week, um, herbal advice and healing advice from Eamon. So my apprenticeship really was with my wife. Um, and I worked with Susan Weed, who Lata mentions here. Um, but 
really, really amen and reading books and then being in the land. So I had a very special kind of apprenticeship when it comes to herbalism, um, an intensive, you could call it. So what, what's, what I love about this episode is it allowed me to reflect on my own love and my own experience for herbs. And I remember when I discovered herbs, I was really in the supplement world. Um, I had already begun healing from so many incurable diseases. I had, um, I had crippling anxiety, cystic acne, chronic, intense sinus infections. I was on antibiotics literally once a month, you know, almost year round. Um, I was on a nebulizer twice a day, which is this machine that vaporizes steroids and you breathe it in for a half hour. Plus I had an inhaler because I had such bad asthma. Um, oh, I mean, there's, there's things I'm not even going to remember, but, um, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, it's 50 pounds overweight. I had so many health issues. And my life started to change when I began juicing. I started juicing, I started eating vegetarian, then I started eating vegan, and I started taking a bunch of supplements and green powders and such. And I was doing pretty well. Um, but by the time I met Eamon, I, I wasn't into herbal infusions. I, I didn't even know what an herbal infusion was. And for those of you who don't, an herbal infusion is a, a bulk herb. So it's the herb in its whole dried form that you take a, a good amount of it, usually an ounce or half an ounce or half cup or a cup, depending on if it's a berry or a, a root or a leaf. And you add it to a jar and you fill that jar up with a quart of boiled water and you make a really strong infusion. Um, and an infusion essentially means that the it's not a tea because the tea is in a tea bag and it's a little bit and it's kind of medicinal. It can be, it can be beneficial, of course, because um, anything wild and from the earth has its own healing energies and spirits and, and nutrients. But the infusion is like a cocktail of nutrition and medicine. It infuses the water with the, the, the plant material. And so it, it extracts all those minerals and vitamins and enzymes and fibers and, and inulin, which is a compound that creates really good flora and bacteria in your gut, and extracts all those things into water. So when you drink this infusion warm or at room temperature, your body just soaks it up. There's very minimal of any processing that needs to be done. Whereas a supplement or a medicine even, it's an isolated compound. So it's some synthetic version of something that was once wild and natural. And um, Lata explains really beautifully the different, the different um, we'll call them classifications of healing types and archetypes and structures later. But these isolated compounds, um, they either suppress or they kind of overwhelm a certain part of the body. And from that suppression or overwhelm, from that activation or sedation, you get uh, a result, right? So maybe your skin clears up, maybe you lose a bunch of weight, or you go to the bathroom a lot, or you pee a lot. Something might happen, um, and you feel like you're healing, and maybe maybe you are. In my experience, it, it only goes so far that you hit a peak. And that's because the body is a living a uh, multidimensional organism, just like the mind, multidimensional creature that's always changing, always shifting, always transforming. So something that's really uh, fixed, 
something that's a fixed state, like 500 milligrams of, of um, let's say, uh, vitamin C versus a quart of dandelion root infusion. That dandelion root infusion has so many different compounds and phyto phytonutrients uh, and um, enzymes and antioxidants. And un- my favorite part about wild, wild whole food is, is um, undiscovered nutrients and benefits, things that don't have a name yet, the mysteries that live under and inside the deep earth. All of these things are in this plant material. And so you're drinking it and you're taking it into your body. So your diet can be quite colonized, you know, quite, quite um, manufactured, quite um, processed, yet you're getting this deep infusion, which is, I love the, the term even, infusing yourself with that wild, undiscovered, holistic, body-to-body plant and experience. So your system just knows what to do with it. And I find that when I learned about infusions through Amen a decade or uh, 11 years ago, I guess it was, and I started using them on, my, on myself, I practiced in a really uh, classical way or traditional way where I just worked with one herb every year, essentially. And then after five or six years, I started to cheat. And maybe every couple months, I'd work with one. Um, but I really got to know them that way. Got to see how they grew, got to harvest them, got to taste them, got to eat some of them, got to tincture them, got to infuse them. And just by doing so, I got to learn which herbs worked better for my body. And from that personal experience, then I get to use them with my clients. And one thing you'll hear in this episode that I love is how Lata's life changed, her mind changed, her profession changed, her ability to secure herself in the world changed. So much came from the infusing, the invoking, the being in relationship to the earth through these wild herbs. And I don't know a feeling more secure than being able to drive anywhere in the world and being able to look at something and say, oh, that's this. I can eat that. Or, oh my gosh, I have this infection. I can chew this and put it on there. You know, my daughter can get a tick bite and she can run outside and identify plantain and chew it up and identify yarrow and chew it up and stick it on her tick bite. And she won't get Lyme disease probably because it sucks most of it out. It draws out toxins and viruses and pathogens. So there's this amazing security, what I would call real security beyond financial security even, of knowing the land you inhabit and um, being in connection to it and I, I, I reflect back to um, one of my earlier podcast episodes. Um, I want to say it's episode four. I'm actually going to look so I can uh, properly refer to it. Episode five, episode five and six, when I had um, April Harder on, who's a therapist. And um, at the time, she, she ran the Racism Recovery Center in Colorado. And one thing I remember her saying, one way that she helps her her white clients heal covert or overt racism um, is to befriend and create intimate connections to people of color. And one of the reasons why is if there's an intimate connection and there's a relationship, there's just uh, an inherent value and love and uh, respect 
within the field of that person. So you have some orientation. So you are going to stand up for them much more easily. You're going to understand them much more. You're going to um, advocate for them. You're going to have a different kind of culture because they're part of your of your field. The same is true when you become an herbalist. And becoming an herbalist just really means you get to know the plants and you use them on yourself and through trial and error and the guidance of other herbalists who have, who are, you know, have um, a good amount of knowledge and experience through their guidance. And really through your body's guidance, you learn about the land. And so anyone that says they studied herbalism or, you know, they're, they're like a certified herbalist, all those ideas, uh, there are people that might go to school to learn much more of a scientific lens of herbalism and and uh, almost pharmaceutical studies of herbalism and there are great classes and studies and um, um, journeys you can take uh, in a formal way a formal approach to learn more uh, however the the tradition that will always remain is just the reality that an herbalist is someone that has worked with the herbs on their land and gets to know them that's all it takes so when you become an herbalist and you learn the herbs that grow near you and how to use them and what they do, you also create a relationship to the land that is near you, the land that you walk on, the land that you breathe around, the land that your house is made on or was built on. And so there's this reverence for the land because the land suddenly is not just, you know, uh, real estate or a parcel or a meadow, but it's something that has deep value and abundance for you and your health and your relationship. So it's not like, you know, don't, don't asphalt that meadow, I need the yarrow. It's like my friend yarrow lives there. And that's what starts to happen. It's very beautiful. So um, my relationship to flower power has been a long one. I, I always refer clients who live in the city there because it's a beautiful experience to go in and get your herbs. And I've known Latah for so long, 11 years, and my wife, Eamon, Belle, and a lot of our friends are apprentices of hers who moved on to creating their own apothecaries in other parts of the country and the world, which is amazing. So uh, Flower Power has a very special place in my heart. I'm so happy it exists. And uh, to keep it in existence, we keep supporting it. So you can visit Flower Power. It's at 406 East 9th Street in New York, 406 East 9th Street. And it's open seven days a week from 12 to 7. And the best part about it is everyone there is an herbalist. They know what they're talking about. They've experienced it themselves. You don't just go in there and buy herbs. You actually get this experience and you get help and you get guidance. Um, that's all part of the experience. You don't have to pay anything for it besides the herbs themselves, of course. So it's, it's a real functional apothecary for the people, for the community, for the earth. So without further ado, I want you to meet the um, proprietress of Flower Power and get to know a little bit about her. Okay, Lata, thank you for being here. Hey, Louise, thank you for having me. So I, I just wanted to start with you telling us your story about what led you to herbal healing and becoming an herbalist. Okay, well, I came from... India, as everybody knows, and everybody in India is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not true. I'm generalizing, but everybody in my family is a, in, in the medical profession. Like, 
you know, either they're a psychiatrist or a physician or a gynecologist, which is what my sister is. And, you know, when you're born, people just expect you to do that, go to school and study and, you know. So um, I was expected to follow in that line of work, except I despised dissections. I couldn't handle it at all. Um, I did get a science award in high school, but I think it was because my teachers liked me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and also, I grew up in a very toxic child, like a family situation. So when I was six, I mean, I was lucky enough to have graduated from high school at 15. Um, so at 16, I ran away from home. And um, I really couldn't afford to go to like a proper school. I didn't know about, there weren't, like there was Bastyr College and Dominion College that was the only two colleges for herbalism, but I didn't even know that I wanted to be an herbalist because I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. Although when I was in India, um, my grand, my mother's grand, my mother's parents, they lived in a village with no electricity and basically their mode of um, medicine was herbal medicine. So I was exposed to it, but I didn't really think about it uh, as something that I wanted to pursue. So when I ran away, I, because of the toxic, childhood that I had I had I was riddled with you know physical ailments sure and um I was very fortunate um I found the herb book by John Lust <laughs> um you familiar with that book no, I never read that book oh my god it was one of my first herbals it's I'm a tiny it down. Book, the herb book by John Lust it's like an encyclopedia of herbs they don't really talk about ailments as much it's more like a materia medica and it's it's been around since the 70s. And it's a really inexpensive little, you know, like Jethro Tull's book, uh, Back to Eden. Mm-hmm. That's way more heroic. But uh, John Lust's book is just very practical information. Um, typical material medica. I found that book and I started addressing my physical and emotional, um, sim- you know, conditions or whatever what, you want to What were it. those at the time? What were you ailed with? Well, number one, I had no self-esteem. I was apologizing for everything. Mm. I was terrified. I had like a very inflammatory, like skin issues and things like that. I I was in and out of, you know, all through my childhood, I was in and out of the hospital being treated with like all sorts of things. Basically just a lot of medicine, a lot of injections, a lot of biopsies, a lot of all sorts of things. And it didn't seem to be getting any better. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I was on my own, like I had to own everything that I had, like warts and all. And that's when I decided to take on, because allopathic or traditional allopathic medicine, as we know it, um, wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I discovered the, the herb book and I looked in it and I found that I was in upstate New York in Poughkeepsie at the time. And I found red clover. It grows everywhere, mm. and dandelion. It grows everywhere, and um, then um, I, I, you know, I bought, I dug them up because there were no herb stores. And I, I was going to ask you that. So you did this all yourself. You harvested them yourself. Why? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a teacher, and I started using them. And from being sick for like eleven years or something, and I also started using Bach flower remedies. You know, I used crab apple, and I used um, walnut. And holly and impatient. I mean, I use so many. I mean, I, you know, starting to address my emotional issues and my physical symptoms. And like within like a month, my mm. physical symptoms disappeared. And I was just like a light bulb went on in my head. I was like, what? 
this is what I want to study. Mm-hmm. So I was fortunate enough to find uh, Healing Wise, A Wise Woman Herbal by Susan Reed. That is like the book that changed my life entirely. Because um, it's a very simple book. Because in the beginning, she talks about the different modalities of healing. She talks about the wise woman tradition, the heroic tradition, and the scientific tradition. And I definitely had gone through the scientific tradition, not found any help, gone through the heroic tradition of you know all sorts of cleanses and fasts and mm-hmm. enemas and blah blah blah. And that too is very. Um, subjugating and yep. it's riddled and um, makes you feel like it's your fault. Right. No gain. Right. And I didn't feel, you know, uh, empowered by it, but then the wise woman tradition, which encourages you to take responsibility for your own health and, you know, relish in the fact that you are you, um, whatever it is, what's and all like, you know, on a path. Um, and so that, resonated with me yeah, and me I started too. working and also the wise woman tradition talks about local plants things mm-hmm. that share your ecology with you mm-hmm. and it just struck a chord you know like Susan Weed, Diane Stein a lot of them were super 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 feminist and they had like some radical things to say about like the patriarchy but aside from that they were also very empowering to somebody who grew up in that era yeah yeah um, I found, you know, my niche. And after that, I just started following, um, you know, I met all these herbalists through the Rainbow Gatherings and I started following them and studying with them. And um, our local herbalist, Robin Rose Bennett, Mm -hmm. uh, she was influential in my life. I studied with David Hoffman, who was really amazing. Um, And Susan Reed, of course, like she definitely is um, up there in my list of fabulous herbalists. yeah, so that's my story. I, and I never looked back. Like, and it, it never lost my attention. I never stopped being enthralled and excited mm. by this um, subject. You know, I love plants and, and, and I'm learning still about them. They're just yeah. so multifaceted. And just through experiencing them in my personal life and my life, my friends and family, and then, you know, being at Flower Power for like almost 30 years, just hearing back from everybody and just, it's, it's, it's enormous. It's it's so inspiring. just hearing you talk about it. Cause it, that's, those were all my experiences. You know, yeah. I, grew, I grew up going to the hospital all the time. I was always sick. I had all these infections, like five incurable diseases, all these things. Right. And then I remember when I discovered herbs, really through Amen, um, I was living in these village and Amen said, you know, start drinking nettles. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I just, and by then I had healed a lot of these things with nutrition, but to get the whole herb in my body versus a pill or something, it was, it was so life altering. Yes. And um, when we moved upstate, it was amazing to see these plants in their actual kingdoms, you know, cause I never saw them growing before. I know it's it's a life-changing moment when you realize you can identify like a plant and yes. then all of a sudden the field is no longer a field. It's it's alive with your friends. Oh, it's so valuable, right? Like it's valuable not in the way of money value, but you know, like health and spiritual value. Like like you said, you see a field. And now, you know, when you're driving and the colors are coming up, your eyes are so oh, there's yarrow. There <laughs> you, know, you, just, you know, you know where the medicine is. That's so true. Like I can't, I often, you know, in my upstate place, try to walk my, my daughter, when she was little, I'd be like, let's go for a walk. And we start walking and I just take one step and I'm like, Oh wait, there's some selfies. <laughs> She'd be like, mom, let's take a walk. 
<laughs> that's exactly what it's like. Every step, there's something else that's amazing, and it's 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 right. You know, you don't have to go very far. Everything's available and in abundance. It's it's quite. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the word? Like, there's a really good word for it. It's so heartening mm. because here we are on this planet, and we're taught to grow up with lack, lack, and lack. When in fact, Earth provides you know, everything you need abundantly in every ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I, I like that you're saying that piece, especially earlier when you were talking about the local ecosystems, you know, like focusing on, on the, like the wise woman tradition, focusing on local, your local herbs essentially and, and plants. Because when we moved upstate and we were so poor and I remember walking up the mountain and never feeling poor because there would be yeah. colt's foot and there'd be uh, you know, chicory and then there was bird. And just to see the different life stages of these plants and knowing that I was being provided for constantly and I wasn't even doing anything. It's like, yeah. it's such, such abundance, right? When I was like young and poor, like extremely poor, because I ran away from home and then, you know, I was just trying to like make my own way in the mm-hmm. world and I had no idea what was going to happen. I was... Um, once I had the, had met a lot of my plant allies, I would I felt so secure in the fact that I could just go anywhere on the planet and introduce people to their plant allies mm-hmm. and barter for food. Mm-hmm. You know that just comforted me, um, and it's 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 true that like you can these marvelous entities exist, and there's they're there specifically for healing their communities. You know, when we have an overabundance of an invasive plant, it's actually there because the community needs that plant. Mm-hmm. Like knotweed, I always think about knotweed. Weed. Yeah. yeah, mugwort. Yeah. Um, it, like we just had an overabundance last year of boneset. Oh, wow. new to grow. Guess what? We've been having, you know, a really intense pandemic. And of these course. Extremely bitter herbs are called for. That's so, yeah. that's so exciting. And also, like, I studied with somebody in Texas. She had a closed, enclosed garden. Like, there were no, the walls were solid. And there was no way of, like, the wind bringing in pollinating things. She would think of something, and it would grow in her garden. Like, things like Chinese herbs, like peony and, you know, things that they didn't mm-hmm, just fly mm-hmm. over. So I believe that plants find you. Mm. I love that you said that because when we moved up here, I remember going out our back porch in the spring and every spring wondering like, what do I need this year? And there would be some new herb that we didn't plant that we didn't even throw out with our teas. And it was exactly what we needed for the condition we needed it for. So I've experienced that. Yeah. And like often, I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this too, that you'll, there'll be a plant or a flower in the spring that just pops up and like, it's in your face Mm. all the time. Mm -hmm. And you're like, who are you? Yeah. And then when you meet them, you're like, hello. Yeah. That was yarrow for me. Yeah. There was like the yarrow year where it was just everywhere. I could smell it everywhere. I could see it everywhere. I could taste. I needed it so badly. And it healed so many, you know, conditions that were still kind of residual left over from the blood. I'm curious, can you like briefly share with our listeners the heroic scientific and wise woman tradition, like what that means? Because some people have never heard of that before. Okay, well, in the scientific tradition, which is what we're all familiar with, it's basically you have an ailment, a disease, you go to the physician, the doctor, they see you for like two seconds, 
the nurse is probably going to see you for longer. The doctor scribbles something, hands it to you, and you never have a chance to speak because the doctor knows. And you better just shut up and listen. And the nurses are the kinder ones who like comfort you. Some, I've met some really wonderful doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a bunch of relatives that are doctors. So I don't want to say that all doctors are curt, but their time is valuable. Yeah. Um, and then you take that prescription. You have no idea what it is. You have no idea what they're thinking about your body. They don't explain to you what's happening. They'll give it a name very quickly. And then they'll send you to the pharmacy to get something that's a derivative. Mm-hmm. It's baby plant uh, derived, but it's one single in- a constituent or a synth- synthesized in a lab mm-hmm. in certain you know <laughs> measurements that are measurable. Um, and you have to take that so many times a day and it goes to a specific receptor site and does a specific thing and your symptoms are subdued. But that is temporary. Mm-hmm. You might have some side effects, which you never expected. <laughs> so that's the t- traditional scientific tradition where they cut and measure. Your body's not a holistic one thing or a multi, you know, holographic being your emotions don't connect with your liver issues you know it's just like it leaves you completely clueless give up your power to the physician Mm -hmm. and trust them and have no role in your healing whatsoever they said i have to take this pill 50 times a day they said this they said i have this and then you just um, marry the idea that you have this mm-hmm, uh, suddenly mm-hmm. you have an identity because you're the identity it. yeah um, so it's not at all empowering and, and 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 it's often riddled with side effects and dependency on a person or you know a, something else other than you mm-hmm. um you're not walking around going i know how to take care of this i've gone to physicians in my own personal experience and asked them what can i eat that would help this they're like oh nothing it's got nothing to do with diet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> mm-hmm. And then there's a heroic tradition in which it's all your fault. It's like, you're thinking these thoughts, you're eating this bad food, you've done some, you know, it's, you need to purge. You are filled with toxins, you are thinking bad thoughts, you're a bad person. You need me, the hero, to come and save you, and I will give you maybe an herbal treatment, but it'll be filled with extremely heroic herbs that you know, like lobelia or golden seal or things that are just really strong that would work on the masses. And they're not, they're very formula oriented. They're not geared to you. They're formulated uh, for someone who has those uh, constitution like you. It's, it's very generalized mm-hmm. again. And it's mm-hmm. also very uh, fear-based, demeaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they like a sense of redemption is there. Exactly. And and it's more like you have to revere the um the heroic healers are usually masters and healers. <laughs> Even the language, you know, yeah. like they're all about very invasive, if not like the invasive therapies that the scientific tradition offers, the heroic tradition offers invasive in your mind. Like they're not gonna sit you and build you up. You're you know, it's they're going to make you responsible in a very demeaning kind of way. Mm-hmm. And r- remedies are usually in elaborate formulae. Um, you know, things like intrusive things like uh, enemas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seriously, I disagree with juices. Like 
very, very concentrated um, juices and things like that that are even formulations are so so intense that they actually beat you up. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. build you up. They're no. not nourishing and fortifying remedies. They're more stimulating, stimulating. or extremely sedating um, remedies. So that there's that yeah. tradition. And in the wise woman tradition, you're encouraged to learn about yourself, accept yourself, not in a demeaned way, but in a, we're on this journey life is journey it's never the same we're always you know following the spiral path like never do we get to like in the scientific tradition it's always like a linear path it's always like a straight line the line that divides that measures that cuts um literally cuts literally <laughs> and yeah. in the tradition it's always like a, a circle you know you have to be in balance when do you ever come around Every year you're growing in a different, even at the same time last year, you're in a different place. So in the wise woman tradition, we follow the spiral path, which is so much more, um, hello to me, it makes so much sense that we're always evolving. We're always growing. And every um, illness or dis-ease is an opportunity for self-realization, self-growth and evolution as a person, as a community, as a culture. You know, we learn about ourselves in the microcosmic way. We learn about ourselves in the macrocosmic way as well. Um, so we, you know, this is just a journey and we're learning and we're growing. And every little experience, even though it may seem uh, harsh and negative at first, if you look at it with a different lens, it's actually a very gross um, offering opportunity um, to, you know, because in the wise woman tradition, we expect change. We, we love change. We embrace change because change is the only constant. And um, we value the moment rather than the outcome, because in the moment is when we ground, is when we witness, is when we joy out, literally, because we have our power in the moment. It's, mm-hmm. you know, in the past, it's like retrospect. In the future, it's circumspect. <laughs> and well, present. You're like speaking of unconditional love, right? It's like you can love yourself now, not when you're healed, but now. Exactly. And when you do that now, you're healed. Because right. now is all that matters. That's right. That's so beautiful. I love, I'm really, I like the way you put all those. That's so beautiful. Um, yeah, I'm going to. It's about it so beautifully. What was that? I, Susan Weed writes about it in, in Healing Wise extremely well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the requirements at Flower Power was to write about what you think the wise woman tradition is. And I've heard some beautiful perspectives and I, I'm so grateful to, to, to be witness to that. But there's so many people like Gail Faith Edwards, she writes about it really well. So does, of course, Robin Rose Bennett. Mm-hmm. But um, just if you even think about any element, like, earth, fire, water, air, you can find the wise woman way in all of those elements that is always so empowering and gentle Mm -hmm. and never uh, demeaning or bossy, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And we're so conditioned to be in a world that's so linear and judgmental and fear-based that when we find the wise woman perspective, it's like so therapeutic and healing because it, it it's 
what we can easily resonate to. It really is. I remember when I first I first read Healing Wise, and I remember reading it, and I remember feeling it, and then experiencing it. And the way my mindset shifted, thank goodness, before I became a somatic therapist, because it was like I was on the road of becoming a psychotherapist or a somatic holistic therapist. And this that book and that experience of you know becoming my own herbalist for myself was so empowering. And it helped me realize like, oh my gosh, let go of the story, like, let go of the linear, let go of the judgment, like what's the reality? And in nature, seemingly there's no story. There's just this constant expansion of the energy comes and it goes. And like you said about the change being constant, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful therapeutic way to live and treat people and yourself. And, and, I, and not even treat, but like experience, right? It's yeah, all about exactly. experience. I it's love that. Experience, you know, and it's, it's like, three words i mean two words really is like respect and compassion for every moment every person every condition every plant every time <laughs> yeah that's so beautiful so now flower power you know i want to know like, how did it become what's the story well the story is so since i ran away at 16 i basically followed the spiral path right whether i meant to or not it just that's what kept happening to me. Um, and I kept getting excited about every new teacher I met or every new plant I met or every new plant experience I had. So in my life, my focus was art, music, and plants. Mm -hmm. And come to have a career, like I'm in my 20s, I have no skills. <laughs> I interned <laughs> at the Open Center. I was very lucky because I interned there. So I met a lot more amazing teachers. And then I just, you know, my parents, I was like on my own. I was working, doing a play, working as a waitress, just, you know, not really a serious career. And my family was like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, well, I've always dreamed of having like a, a tea room where I could offer people herbal teas. I was very, very, very into herbs. Um, so I didn't really manage a tea room, but I ended up in my travels, I met a lot of growers, like people would grow like really fabulous herbs. And um, then I would go to cities and the herb shop would have like crap, like nothing really vibrant. Mm -hmm. And I worked at Angelica's for a minute and they had three different grades of herbs, like for the poor people, for the middle income people, and for the people who could really afford the real herbs. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, they had three grades. It was like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> you should have the same herb, the effective, potent herbs. Mm. So I was, um, I had gone to New Orleans and I had decided that I love New Orleans and I was going to move to New Orleans and do an herbal practice, but barter. Because that's all I knew. Um, so I had got a place there. I moved my stuff there. But then I met somebody. Like I was crossing off days on my calendar to get on the plane. All my stuff was already in New Orleans. But then I met somebody and I ended up saying, mm, I don't know if I want to go to New Orleans. And they had a space in um, on First Street. And so I, they were like, well, why don't you open your herb shop finally? And I was like, so I asked my sister for money and she loaned it to me and I opened the shop. And wow. from day one, I was teaching because people would pop in and be like, what's that? <laughs> What are you doing? Of course. Like, what are herbs? What's organic? What's wildcrafted? They don't, they knew nothing. This is in 1993. Mm. 
And so I just like started teaching. And so it was on I, First Street is where it started. First Street. And then I taught like literally every day. And through my students, I still have some people that are working in Flower Power and they're making their own products. And, you know, that just, I, I didn't have like a people, my customers were William Nassassier, who is an herbalist, who's gone now, but he was, he was kind enough and he would come and buy his clients herbs from me. Uh, Robin Rose Bennett, who was there day one, so supportive. And like a few people who used herbs and then my students who became herbal users and then herbalists. And I also reached out to like the local Narcotics Anonymous and like areas like that, because back then the whole neighborhood was all sex and drugs and rock and roll. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to reach into my community and see who needed me. And Narcotics Anonymous embraced me. Like I, I was very, um, relieved and they were relieved because they didn't want to use substances to get better so we did a lot of detox blends and so I got my I found my people mm. then we moved to 9th street and um you know struggled for many years but look at the world now everybody's a herbalist everybody's a wit there's all these marvelous <laughs> herb shops popping up everywhere I I'm so gratified I, you know I, I'm I'm loving that because I think um I think a lot of us just have this idea of like, oh, people always embraced herbs, you know, but I think when I hear your story, how you literally started with three people maybe coming in and then everyone else that was kind of educated or interested, then they became your, your, your base after a while. But I agree. It's like something turned in the last decade where it's like cool it to be a witch to be. and it's, you know, and, and, and it had to, it's like part of the, I guess, not even reclaiming, but the survival of our planet. Exactly. Right. I mean, climate change or the planet Earth herself created, um, I mean, awareness. I mean, when you ingest plants, they grow into you. Mm. And then you tell somebody about it. And it's like, we all have this innate understanding because plants are our ancestors. So they just came in and woke us up. And they were like, listen, you know, when you're taking plants as, as foods and medicines, you're connecting, reconnecting with your ancestors. And when you're peeing them out, you're literally result, you know, resurrecting the planet because it's nourishing the planet. When you pee out NyQuil, you're actually polluting the waterworks. Absolutely. I love that 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 I love when you say that. You know, it 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 brings me memories of my really early days as an herbalist where like businessmen and women would come in or, or my clientele that were very removed from the natural world. And I would just love the satisfaction that they were getting this wild energy in their bodies, you know, when they were drinking nettles or burdock or, and it changed their, their minds, right? Over time, they would start to feel a little more connected to the environments and natural world around them just by drinking a, an infusion every day. It's profound. Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's a proven fact that your cellular receptor sites, they're not like lock and key. They're more like a kaleidoscope that keeps moving mm. and, and plant, um, constituents of plant nutrients of plant uh, stuff is very akin to our, our receptors. So when we drink an infusion, our body just goes, yes, mm. you know, as compared to when we eat something that was like maybe genetically modified or even organically grown rather than wild, our body goes, hmm, 
let me taste this. It's more work for the body to receive that kind of nutrition than mm-hmm. it is drinking a wild crafted tea. Your, your mm-hmm. body needs it. We don't get these phytonutrients in the four things that the we get from the health food mm-hmm. store, you know? I even find it as an important work for decolonizing the psyche, you know, to be able to go out into the wild and be able to pick from the earth where there is no, like, um, mechanism of of race or class or all these things that you know we've put on ourselves, and just to be pure with that that natural world, it decolonizes all that even ancestral trauma. I find you know myself. Absolutely and true. You find right. that too. Yeah, and 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 it's it's also you know kind of reconnecting you to your literal mother, and and you next time you go out and you meet like sorrel growing on the floor of the grass and you can my daughter when she was a tiny person we would go on walks in in my property upstate and she would she knew how to identify plants because she was so close to the ground and she mm. would love sorrel and so she would eat it and um then what happens is you go down again as you grow up and you have a you want to care for that spot because it, it just happens because mm. you want to nurture it nurtured you so mm-hmm. you want to nurture it mm-hmm. I, you know, I just wanted to share that I worked with this woman who came on the podcast. Her name's Amber McZeal, and she actually, um, her thesis is decolonizing the psyche. She's like a um, psychologist, and she does a lot of magic work. I'm not sure if she's a witch. I think she is, but she hasn't said that. <laughs> but she loves witches. But um, but she she's amazing, and she's a black woman, and she's all about teaching people, black, white, whatever they are, how to decolonize their psyches. And um, one way, one thing we were talking about was she said, like an auntie told her that culture is how your body reflects the land. That's all culture is. And race and every other identity is completely man-made. And so I, I love that idea. Like when you said the sorrel and you have this relationship to the land and how it might heal you or nourish you, that's a relationship that, that breaks division. You know, everyone can relate around that. And that creates well, this beautiful... Because it belongs to everyone. Like it's that's not right. anybody's. That's right. That's it's right. everybody's. So this is how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you something really cheesy. Um, uh-huh. Can you tell us your top three herbs? Oh, God, that's so difficult. I know. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I should say your top three herbs right now. Okay, my top three herbs right now. And, and why? So everyone listening can learn. Okay, number one right now is definitely holy basil. I love holy basil also because I have a connection with holy basil because I'm Indian and in every Indian household, it's a revered plant. Mm. It grows in the in middle of the house, you know, mm. and it's literally something that we worship. Um, but also because it's tasty. It's an aromatic plant in the mint family. It belongs uh, like it's a cousin of basil, you know, so it's, it's, accessible you can find it easily you can grow holy basil here easily um it's so tasty it doesn't require to be infused you can make a five minute tea and like among the properties of holy basil of course it's really amazing for the nervous system like it's really fortifying um and and grounding and and, and a very wonderful earth for meditation but it's also a seriously divine antiviral Mm. which we need right now mm-hmm. and and you're not gonna drink something that's untasty um but you easily would love to drink holy basil so i love this plant so much mm. and i think it's very valuable right now um, do you have do you have a favorite way to drink it tea just straight up tea yeah 
um, it's tasty. It is, yeah. And um, of course, you can cook with it. You can do all sorts of things with it, but like, it's delicious. And it's slightly um, warming, isn't it? Yeah, and it's it's really um, grounding, but it's also very ethereal. The same, mm-hmm. you know. So Love that. when you drink it, you can have wonderful dreams, and you can really, um, before you meditate, you can go drink some holy basil. It's wonderful. Another thing that I'm really uh, finding very valuable right now, given the circumstances, is time. Time mm. everybody has in the house. And time is another tasty aromatic, also in the mint family. Um, and it's great for the flu season, just in general, because it's tasty, like with lemon and honey. It's my favorite. Mm. And cooking with it is wonderful. And it's accessible. It's important that things be accessible. Like I can tell you, like I really like Shisandra because I do, but not everybody can get a hold of Shisandra, mm-hmm. which is a marvelous herb or amla. Ooh, I love amla. <laughs> Me too. I think it's delicious. I could just eat it like trail mm-hmm. mix. Yeah, uh, it's like rose hips and that same kind of feeling. Yeah, when I was tuna. little, I would eat the um, fruit itself. Amla is like, uh, what is it? It's a... Uh, it's a berry. Um, it's very, the texture, it looks like a tomato, like a green tomatilla, but the texture is very fibrous and juicy. Mm-hmm. I could eat like pounds of it in one mm. sitting. So delicious. Kind of tart, but a little bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, the third herb that I would say that I would, I'm crazy about right now, that's not totally exotic. Hello, dandelion. I mean, and every part of this plant is, so amazing mm-hmm. and even roundup can't kill it mm-hmm. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the resilience amazing. Factor, you know the resilience factor of dandelion it blows my mind this summer i did a meditation when the whole you know country was up in arms about george floyd mm-hmm. and i was just like oh we need a better leader we need a leader that can show us some kind of strength and resilience and and humility and just resilience and i meditated and the image of dandelion came to me and it just makes so much sense i mean dandelion can grow through a crack yes car yeah <laughs> so i made a dandelion uh, flower essence and i handed it out to people just to you know encourage yeah. them like to just hang in you know, so beautiful them. when you were saying about the resilience of dandelion i was thinking uh, of all the herbs I've seen in industrial spaces, dandelion's always the one you see on a sidewalk. You know, I have it growing right outside on the sidewalk. It just finds its way through any hard, rough place, right? It's amazing, isn't it? It is. Well, you know, I have to tell you, most of our common herbs, if you go to a vacant lot, you'll find nettle. Like mm-hmm. in the concrete, mm-hmm. melon, um, teasel. I've, I've, I'm just shocked. It's There's amazing. no nourishment in these places. Mugwort. Yeah. Yeah. But they find it. They create nourishment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's so incredible. Can you tell just, us a couple of things about dandelion you love the most? Well, the fact that it's first, you know, I mean, it's not the first plant that comes up in the spring. Coltsfoot is, but it looks like dandelion. Mm-hmm. But when I see spring finally starting to kick in and we look at the fe- meadows, it's like dandelions. It's joy. It's immediately like, oh my God, the sun is, you know, on earth right now. So just the visual of dandelion is just so heartening and uplifting. And then like making salads out of the dandelion flowers or the fritters and using the stems as straws because they're hollow and the leaves and salads and soups. 
and then the root. I mean, the root is what I did when I was first getting better. Mm-hmm, uh, too. When I was and the root is just like such marvelous liver medicine, lower digestive medicine, source of inulin, which is great for um, as a prebiotic to let the probiotics flourish, as a you know liver tonic to help you digest, assimilate, and eliminate what you don't need. More ways than just like in a physical level, most also on like a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. I love dandelion. <laughs> Beautiful. Lata, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on. I've known you for so long and I've never got to talk to you about your story um, well, or, or even your philosophies, but I, I hope you're proud of yourself, you know, because- I, I love what I do. I'm so grateful that I get to do it. And, and just, I love over the years watching your students uh, create their own apothecary. So it's like amazing. Like Dan, talk about dandelion, like those little seeds blowing away and <laughs> like repopulate. They're, they're so, uh, the, 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 capsule, the little capsellas, the little dandelion seed heads, that's what I mean. It's like so prolific. And, mm-hmm. and I've been so fortunate, Flower Power has been so fortunate to attract these marvelous, mm-hmm. you know, people who are just satellite not satellites but like suns in their own right absolutely absolutely so gorgeous thank you for being here my pleasure thank you louise for what you do again if you're interested in supporting flower power you can visit them on instagram flowerpower underscore new york city you can also shop flower power online right now it's one of the gifts we've gotten from the pandemic And to do that, you go to flowerpower.net and you can see everything they have there. Um, You can also, if you're in the city, like I said before, you can go to 406 East 9th Street in the East Village, right on 9th Street and 1st Avenue. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to hearing how this may impact you and your journey to learn about your body and the land. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice, what's your body doing right now? Sit with it, let it speak to you, and let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen, for all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. For more information on my work, including my online courses and healing circles, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, where I share weekly philosophies and resources to help you release stress and trauma from your body so that you can live a happier life. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving. 
as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.